0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select Campus events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
1: This crowd rises to its feet. The Toro slammed it home. Garland left wing, free ball.
0: Perfect! Garland
1: went the lane, locked the
0: only pow! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. How With the left hand and a foul! Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media Family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo, the official streaming partner of the Cavs. Watch over 350 channels of live sports and TV, including Bally Sports Ohio, without cable. There's no cost and no commitment. Try for free at fuboTV.com/slash Cavs. The Cleveland Cavaliers avoided having a hangover after their Paris trip and extended their winning streak to five with a. Uh, let's call it a dominant win over the Chicago Bulls. A little bit of a, a rough stretch in the third quarter, let the Bulls back in the game and took a one-point lead, but still managed to rally and cruise to an 18-point win. Joining me today to discuss it is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing good. Really enjoying uh, Cavs basketball. Really enjoying rooting for a team that shows up and plays really, really uh, well um, You know, in a spot where I think they could have been forgiven for not doing so, you know. This is a trappy trap game if I've ever seen one. Uh, they they go to Paris. They win. They're having fun. Special experience. You get home. You got to get all your affairs in order. You got Milwaukee coming to town on Wednesday. I think, you know, I had this game circled as a big trap game. Yeah. Um, where I kind of thought the Cavs, I, I could forgive them for coming out flat they didn't do that they scored 40 points in the first quarter and you know uh you know blew the doors off the bulls and uh and ended the fourth doing pretty much the same uh in the complete opposite way you know they win the first <laughs> quarter 40 to 21 uh just getting easy buckets at will bombing away from 3 what what fun time and then you go into the fourth and you just put on the clamps Justin, you clamp them. And uh, the Bulls score 14 points in the fourth quarter. Um, And boy, did it feel like it. They could not get a clean look to save their lives. Um, Held them to a 91 offensive rating and uh, felt like it. Uh, So a really, really fun win uh, for the boys. And uh, they took 57 threes,
0: which is a franchise record. And that's a whole lot of threes. That is a ton of threes. And, And it's funny because... I agree. The Cavs clamped down in the fourth quarter and I I thought it it was really impressive the way that they responded to the Bulls taking the lead. But when you look at, you know, the, the run that Chicago made... I felt like there was a lot of times in this game where the Cavs dodge bullets too, right? Like Zach Levine missing a layup to end the half. And just like a a couple shots in close or an open look from Vucevic, who who didn't have a great game shooting from three. Like there was quite a few times where I felt like they got some lucky breaks. But it it was nice to see them not squander those opportunities that Chicago gave them. And I, I agree. Like this game was Definitely a a trap game. Chicago had been playing good basketball. Um, Even though the Cavs have had some time off, you always have kind of that balance of rest versus rust. And I I thought you saw rust at times. Like, to to start the game, there was a few careless turnovers, miscommunications on where guys needed to be. Uh, I thought they got away from their offense in the third quarter. Um, it wasn't just a matter of, Hey, we're generating good looks and they're not going down. I just didn't like kind of the shot diet and the way that they were generating those shots in the third quarter, but to have the mental toughness to not get rattled by giving up, uh, that lead by, you know, giving Chicago their first lead of the game and to come out and get the lead up to 10, then, you know, you have the clear path foul, uh, lead goes back down to five easily could have, you know been buckle up for a tight finish stretch right there but instead they responded again and and they generated better looks uh took it to the basket the threes that they got were coming off of you know rim pressure and and driving to the uh the lane and jared allen was just phenomenal throughout this night as well i like we we can talk about you know the decision making and, and how it improved down the stretch but i think one of the biggest differences was when jared allen checked back in it opened up things uh, for everybody else just because of the gravity that he has and his ability as a screener and as a playmaker in those dribble handoffs.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he had three or four screen assists tonight. Um, but yeah, I mean, just that that gravitational pull he kind of sucks everyone in because you can't you can't give him the step towards the rim. Um, you know, he only had five shot attempts tonight, but <laughs> I, but uh, it you know still yet another double double for him. Uh, another five offensive rebounds for him um, and you know really were the kind of backbreaker possessions. I think the Cavs had like 24 26 second chance points or something like that. I think they mentioned it on the broadcast. Uh, you know what's interesting about the shot diet is I do think for the most part, they were still okay shots. like I, I don't think that the the process was so bad. Uh, I like like I think there is a there is some screwing around. Yeah. that definitely happened don't get me wrong but also like i do think it's it's probably an interesting lesson for the team as they enter this bombs away era which is like i did see since them kind of looking for the home run ball uh, a little bit like they wanted mm-hmm. to they wanted to to avalanche the bulls um uh, on on the offensive end, they wanted just to, to just to keep them raining, and you know they they've got a lot of clean looks. I mean, Max Struess went zero of six on pretty much all open threes. Yeah, uh, Ice was one of six at one point. Uh, Dean was one of seven. He you know he made his last three, which makes the overall number look a lot better.
0: Yeah, and um, same
1: thing happened for Karras, too. Yeah, so like sure, I do think there was a little bit of screwing around, but, like, I think it's probably a good reminder that if you are going to be a team that shoots this much, like, figuring out how to toe the line between getting rim pressure to generate those looks and, you know, like, not having it be your first option every time when there's a lid on the basket, which there was in the third. Like, they were pretty reliant on the three. I I don't think that their process was horrific, but, like, there were some times where it was, like, Hey, guys, how about we uh,
0: try something else for a little bit? Because these shots aren't going in. I, I don't know if I completely agree. Like, I, I think in the third, when Chicago was making that stretch, I felt like there was a lot of handoffs and and just kind of sure. side-to-side horizontal action yep. outside of the three-point line. Whereas guys, like, guys weren't getting clean catch-and-shoot looks where they're square to the basket, they're balanced, and, and you know— they're they're drifting to the side because they they're moving to off the the dribble handoff or whatever the case may be. We don't have the benefit of going back and rewatching it like like I do with some of these, but I just didn't love the shot diet in there. Sure, and I'm not saying they played great. To be no. abundantly clear, and, and what I found was interesting is Karras' decision making in that stretch because I thought Karras was fantastic in the first half. I thought he came in off the bench and. Gave them immediate energy with, with his length. He had that great alley oop to Allen, and Karras was big in the fourth, hitting some he really iced the timely, game, shots. in my opinion, really really timely shots. I think it was him and Dean Wade uh, that, that hit the biggest shots in the fourth quarter. The third quarter, I had an issue with his decision making more than anybody else because he was the primary initiator for that stretch of time. Sure, and when. When you're in a situation like that, where basically you're playing Karras as as the backup point guard, we've talked about in the past how it's difficult sometimes to get Craig Porter Jr. minutes because he and Karras can't really share the floor. And when Karras is playing as well as he is, you know, you're going to go with Merrill. You're going to go with the other spacers for those lineups. But I think that also comes with an understanding of the responsibility in, the, in those uh, lineup configurations where Karis needs to be the guy that's getting into the paint and he needs to be the one that's generating that rim pressure because if he's not doing it, nobody else is. Because when you're in a spot like that and Karis is also floating like Merrill and some of the other guys that he was on the court with in that time, if he's also floating, you want to almost be like, okay, well, this is a spot where maybe they could use Craig. But... If Craig hasn't played in the first half, it's really hard to throw him in in the third quarter uh, when he hasn't played uh, yet in that game, when Chicago's making a run. That's a tough spot to put him in. So I, I think when you're going with this backup Karras kind of configuration, he needs to understand that if he's not getting to the rim, nobody else is. And you really kind of embrace that responsibility the same way we want, you know, Darius to take more threes and whatnot because of the the pressure of the lineup if he's not taking threes. When Karras is out there as the lone bowl handler, he needs to be that guy that's getting to the rim.
1: Yeah, I I think that's all fair, you know, and like this is part of why historically they've run a backup point guard, you know, like Karras Karras's playmaking allows you to do that uh, and uh, to get away with it. But there are times where you kind of go like, hey, can we get some organizing principles here? Um, can we get some some rim pressure? And you know that is something a guy like Craig is really good at. And like, make no bones about it, the Cavs won this game on the defensive end of the ball. Uh, yeah. They 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 scored forty points in that first quarter. Then they scored twenty, twenty, and twenty nine. And in a game where they took fifty seven threes, they took eleven free throws and they made every single one of them. So they they went a hundred percent from the line. They had twenty eight assists to only eleven turnovers they still only had a 110 offensive rating which would be good for 26th in the league so With all those threes
0: <laughs> it was 110? 110
1: 110 so right. you know so like I, there there there's certainly something to be said for some offensive execution uh here but man I thought they guarded really really well in this one um uh, I, I I thought th- I thought everyone took the took the challenge really really well. Uh, ice was awesome on kobe white who went five mm-hmm. of 15 uh interesting to see by the way that i seem to be on kobe white as much as anyone uh to start the game you know like uh like he had some Le- Le- uh, Le- levine levine uh shifts uh he had some he had some kobe white shift he was kind of all over the place but i thought his perimeter defense was pretty nasty and it, it again he is just He's such a helpful player. He goes one of six from three, three of 12 from the field, seven points, only one assist. It was not his best offensive game, but he's a plus 18 Mm -hmm. because he was just in a very ISO heavy Bulls offense. Whoever was trying to initiate, he tended to be shutting their
0: water off. Yeah. And there, there was a stretch in the third quarter where he basically changed the decision making in transition Uh, where he took away a pass and that led to a miss and then there was another time I believe it was the next possession where Allen went out to contest a shot and Vucevic was going for that offensive rebound and he just kind of skied over him and ended that possession and um, kind of stopped the bleeding because Chicago not getting buckets on those uh, possessions really kind of resulted in the still having a lead after three quarters I thought his defense was outstanding in this game and um I I think the defense overall was really good. I I continue to be impressed. I found it really interesting that post-game Jared Allen mentioned that um, they have installed kind of a new defensive scheme coming into this year. I haven't noticed.
1: that That one snuck in.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't noticed anything dramatically different in terms of how they're defending. So I would love to kind of get an elaboration of what that is. But um, he mentioned that, you know, they're feeling more comfortable. And that is certainly popping. Like when you go back, you watch the film, when you watch the Cavs play night in and night out, they look more comfortable with what they're doing defensively. And that's a big accomplishment when they're out there without their best defensive player. Like, I I, I think that is something that they can really feel proud of. And uh, Obviously, we understand that it's been a weaker part of the schedule. Um, the competition is going to have some effect on that. But if you're concerned about the execution and process over results, executing and doing a good job of stopping these teams is a step in the right direction and gives you confidence that you're going to continue to be able to do so against the best teams in the league.
1: Yeah, um, it, it's just been, again, I, I, I know I'm a, I'm a broken record on this, but they're 10-3. and 3 since man since, since evan and darius went out since a lot of people rightfully were like is this season just gonna be is this gonna be a season killer you know um they they have survived they have thrived i'm not sure if darius got the uh the wiring in his jaw out today or not. not sure if that got confirmed but if not today you know it's happening soon mm-hmm. uh you know he should be starting to ramp up uh for all reports here soon and Man just feels like they've survived, and you know some of these gripes. You know it was funny while you were you know very rightfully kind of you know noting some of the playmaking deficiencies in the third quarter. I can't. I, my mind couldn't help but drift just a little because it was like shouldn't be a problem soon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and also and, like, and, 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 and that's not that's not to say that's not valid and important that that you know Karras play makes at a high level but Dude, I'm, uh, I'm
0: rambly as hell but it's People, exciting every, everybody, man everybody but it's just exciting
1: <laughs> like just just knowing that knowing that you know we're not going to have to depend on players to go so far mm-hmm. outside of what their initial roles were to win because i mean we've got players way outside of their initial expectations right now uh, I'm again tristan thompson is just uh, playing a, a cool, you know, fifteen to twenty minutes a game, and it's just not a problem. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's it's been really really exciting. It's been really really fun. Um. Another really good Tristan game I thought in the defensive end. Really really battled with uh with Drummond and Vucevic and um you know and Bulls threw out some weird lineups. Man, they came back with a Drummond Vucevic uh front court, which is you know. Shades of uh, shades of the Cavs uh, <laughs> just a few
0: years ago. All, all you needed was JaVel McGee at small forward to, to really kind of complete that lineup and yeah, Thon that... maker at shooting guard <laughs> <laughs> and then letting Andre Drummond just go ice ball. Those were good times. Um, yeah, like, the, the reason I, I focused on the third quarter is like, I think so much from this game and so much from the stretch has been primarily positive. So anytime I can kind of get like those instructive little things to, to focus on, I, I like to zero in on it. But you're right. Like when they're fully healthy, when, when Darius and, and Mobley are back, those second unit minutes are likely going to be Karis and Donovan together. Like, I, I think that's probably a safe assumption and probably Jared Allen would be out there too. I, I actually want to get into what we would like to see in terms of, you know, 10 man rotation and, and lineups a little later in the podcast, but you're going to have that supplemental playmaking there. You're going to have uh, guys that can apply that rim pressure there. This should be a short term thing that we're talking about, um, but I, I just continue to be so impressed by how they they've handled this stretch it was really fun and we you talked about Tristan briefly it's so great seeing him out there in 13 again oh, like it was breaking my brain man the universe is at peace seeing him sky in for that offensive rebound where he dunked it w- was great um if if we're going to focus on some of the negatives I'm a little bit concerned with max Tri's knee um when you look at you know they only played the one game last week. Um and he's been dealing with some knee soreness. Um, you know, game time decision for this one, uh JB commented basically saying, Hey, like, you know, he he wants to play, we're we're gonna give him the opportunity to play here. I just didn't feel like he had his normal lift. Um, so hopefully that's something that, you know, can be resolved with time and, and is nothing too too serious. But if if uh, I
1: can jump in real quick on that, if there is uh if if there is a time for if Max needs to take, you know, a week or two off, like it's so funny how much the way Merrill has broken out has made me feel safer about that, mm-hmm. you know? Like at the beginning of the year if you told me Struess wasn't going to play, I was like, "Well, we're probably not going to win because he's been the the plus-minus king all year for this team, uh continued to be that tonight on a night where he had a really rough go of it, you know, one of 8 from the field, 0 of 6 from 3 and plus 19. Um yeah, by the way, I thought he moved his uh, feet really well. Um uh, he he had a couple of ISOs against Le, uh, Levine, and it was like, damn, this
0: is really, really good. That, um, and also, he caught a chase down block, Carter. Oh, yeah. Like, gotta love it. That... Caught his own say, chase down block, more I, specifically. That's, that's what I mean. Like, he basically, like, almost palmed it. Like, he lost control briefly, but he brought it back in with the one hand. And I rewound it. Like, I, I was like, I'll catch up in a commercial break, because I needed to see that again. I needed to figure out what the hell happened, because I, I don't know how many times I've seen a, a player do that. So, obviously, you know, he's not completely limited, but I just thought... You know, he didn't have the same kind of explosiveness and and pop that w- that we've seen. Yeah, uh, a lot of him. threes were missing short.
1: That, yeah, or or came, came out a little flat. Um, and uh you know, I I hope he uh, I, you know, I I do hope you know, obviously uh neither of us are doctors, always can slap that disclaimer on the pod, but do hope that you know it's one of those things because Max is gonna be like, I'm fine. <laughs> I yeah. feel like if there's any player who would who would be like, I'm fine, don't worry about me, it would probably be Max. Uh, Just based on, you know, what what, what you hear and what you see. Um, But, you know, if if he does need a little bit of time, like the team actually looks really, really deep on the wings right now in terms of helpful players. And like, I think that's, again, the biggest takeaway from the stretch is like, I just feel like JB has a lot of levers to pull um, coming out of the stretch because he just knows so much more about the deep uh, uh, end of his of his uh, roster.
0: Yeah, I, like if Strews needs to miss some time, I feel pretty confident that Sam Merrill's got us back. Just like I always know Zoom has our back with this podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. Carter, we, we talked about guys that kind of went through hot and cold stretches from three in this game. Donnie was on fire. Donnie came Donnie. out.
1: Donnie! Donnie was awesome in this game from start to finish.
0: Yeah, there there, there was, I actually liked, I I thought that the rest did a pretty good job in this game, kind of letting contact go. Like, I think both teams were allowed to play kind of physical vertical defense without getting into the defender's airspace.
1: 27 combined free throws. That's my kind of basketball game.
0: Yeah. And both teams were, were standing there kind of complaining, taking it to the basket. And that's, that's the sweet spot. That's where I want to be where it's, you know, there's a little bit of a bump, but you still kind of have to finish through it. Um, but like, I, I just thought his finishing overall was great. Uh, we talked about how, Hey, like the jumper is kind of come and gone uh, recently, but it, it seems like he's finding a groove uh, from behind the three point arc, which is really encouraging uh, ahead of Darius uh, getting back and ahead of such an important stretch for the Cavs in, in terms of, the opponents they're going to play. Uh, But I I thought his game was awesome overall. Um, Again, continues to compete on both ends of the floor. I thought there was a few instances of really flashy and nice playmaking in this game. And um, I just continue to be impressed that it doesn't feel... Like when we need a lift, he will take over and kind of score in bunches. But it doesn't feel like this is the Donovan Mitchell show at all times. Like he, he really has done a good job of not dominating possessions while still dominating the game in terms of his impact.
1: Yeah. I just thought he was crazy North South player tonight. Um, he was not really doing a lot of the, the side to side, uh, his, his heavy dribble possessions tended to be, you know, going towards the rim or, you know, uh, doing kind of his patented catch the ball with a running start, uh, off a pass just to get that, that initial burst. Um, um, you know, he looked like that running back, Barry Sanders type <laughs> uh, rim attacker today. Um, I thought he played strong and in control. And then on the defensive end, uh, he had a real feeling for when we needed splash plays. Um, I thought he did a really great job at picking the passing lanes. And like one thing I really appreciate about Donovan on that end of the floor when he is locked in and really and really paying attention to what the offense is doing is he does not half-ass his cheats. Mm. Like if he's cheating, he is flying. in. I'm going to go to another football analogy. He's like a cornerback who's jumping a route. Um, he like, uh, on, he did one dig down. I think it was on a or maybe it was a Drummond post up where they caught, you know, they caught it on the block and kind of made their move. And he was there the second they turned and ripped it. Um, I, I just think his hands are so good in those moments and his explosion i think it kind of catches teams off guard when all of a sudden you know he goes into full turbo mode and, and makes those plays i thought he and, and i thought on and individual matchups he did a really nice job you know mm-hmm. uh i i thought he was really good on both ends of the floor today i thought i thought this was a superstar game from donovan um in a way that like it, a relatively quiet 34 and seven. Yeah. <laughs> um, just in terms of total control of the game. And you know, frankly, like I just think they felt his absence when he wasn't out there.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, especially the the minutes that he was out of the game and Jarrett was out of the game as well. Like, um, we've had stretches where that's really worked, and there's times tonight where that worked, but uh you definitely felt it in the third quarter. And the thing that blows me away watching him, like th- that that Eurostep and how much body control he has always kind of surprises me. But when he gets to kind of that last step where he covers so much ground horizontally, normally when someone makes that wide of a step, they're leaving the ball vulnerable to be blocked because they just don't have any pop left, right? Like all of their energy has been used going left to right. And then there's a little bit of a scoop and you hope that you kind of got around the defender. The fact that he's able to elevate off of usually that right leg and rise up and kind of absorb contact and get it high off the glass. That is just so ridiculous. <laughs> like I, I just don't understand the physics of it. Uh, I, I'm just so damn impressed by by watching him play. Like when a hundredth
1: percentile athlete attacking the rim for his size. I mean, <laughs> yeah. again, there is a difference between what the Cavs have had at the guard and wing positions in the non-LeBron category over the past, you know. 10 15 years in what Donovan is he is a true above the rim finisher because he has that vertical pop after he expends all the energy to get past the guy in the first place
0: mm-hmm. yeah I I completely agree and man Donovan we, we Mitchell good about,
1: at basketball
0: good good at basketball breaking news here on the chase down pod aggregate us wherever you uh, see fit um Carter you talked about this a little bit but while we were waiting to go live here but Dean Wade hitting three threes in, or four threes in this game. Anytime you can get this volume, like this was what we were talking about a couple podcasts ago, where when Dean Wade is doing what he does in his best games, where he's rebounding as well as he did tonight, um, defending as well as he did tonight. Like he got a, a tough lot of,
1: matchup. He only had two fouls and he man, had the DeRozan uh, matchup quite a bit.
0: Like I, I felt like the rebounds he got were really impactful as, as like, super contested he was battling Jarrett was really battling again on the glass which i I think we gave Jarrett his praise but we didn't mention the rebounding uh but dean like when he is performing in this role and he's playing as well as he did tonight that is what we need from that backup four position that is exactly the kind of four three play that you need and i like to see that he didn't shoot well to start this game and continued shooting like the, the Dion Waiters quote of I'd rather go 0 for 30 instead of 0 for 9 because 0 for 9 means he stops shooting. I want to see him keep taking that. I don't want to see record scratches. I want him confident pulling those shots. I want every single player, when they get a quality look uh, that, that's open from three, a catch-and-shoot opportunity, you cannot turn those down. And I think they've done a lot better job over this stretch of not turning those down, and that's something that I'd really like to see continue.
1: You know who else likes it when Dean Wade shoots is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Every time he makes a three, the whole bench loses their mind. Tristan Thompson talked in the postgame about how much he, how much. Uh, he needs to kind of embrace the fact that he's earned it every step of the way and needs to shoot those threes and yeah. embrace that he's earned those shots. Um, Jared Allen talked about how, you know, when Dean is hitting and taking threes, you know, it, it, it's, you know, gets the whole team going. And, uh, you know, I think he said, like, it's, it's it's nice to see those going, especially Dean, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like it, he's just the kind of guy who you want to see it from because he really does do all the little stuff. but the little stuff has to be accompanied with enough splash plays on the offensive end to kind of keep the, the, the train moving. You know, I, I think the direct quote I said uh, before we started recording was if Dean just makes three threes a game, I don't really care how many he takes. Yeah. I'm he's a, he's the perfect eighth man, seventh, you know, eighth, ninth man for this team. It's just that, he hasn't done that and then you you looked it up what what was the record when he's made at least three games oh, or three over, threes
0: yeah o- over the last 3 years it's 10 and 4 which is
1: like great great indicator that when dean hits shots it they, they win however i mean the but the real number is it's only happened in 14 games yeah. and i don't think that's a that's a skill issue i think it's a volume issue so yeah. You know, like, when he's shooting like that, everything just starts to click in and make sense, you know? Like, you can weather a guy like George Nan going cold a little bit because, like, okay, George might not have it in, you know, this quarter or this half. Let's go to Dean, and Dean can give us 80% of the shooting, but, you know, 120% of the defense. Like, he just gives you so much flexibility uh, for this team, and, like, obviously consistency. It's funny, it's like... With Niang and Wade, it kind of feels like consistency is the one thing that we're missing out of that backup. Well, now, right now, starting for, but eventual backup for. Like, I'm just not sure what to count on on a game to game basis. But like, when either of them plays well, and again, they really only need one to play well once they're healthy. Yeah. Um, it just the whole the whole game starts to feel so different.
0: And, and I think this is another good example. Like, I, I think this stretch is illustrative of what we've talked about in the past, which is like. The decisions players are making out there, like, that's their own. Like, we we can talk about, like, coaching philosophy to get up more threes and whatnot. We, we've talked about, you know, pace and, and all these other discussions. But really, it comes down to decision-making. Like, we've said in the past, like, Darius needs to take more threes. Like, that needs to be his mentality. He's looking to get other guys involved. He needs to take them. Okoro needs to take those open threes when he's there. Dean needs to take those open threes when he's there. And you start to see, like... I love to hear, you know, Tristan postgame talking about how they get excited and how they get on Dean to, to take and make those threes. That's what you want to see. Like, you want the teammates holding one another accountable. It's clear that that is a message from top down. Jared said uh, a couple games ago that this was the point of emphasis. This is what we've been told as players to do all season. This is what we wanted to, to be doing. and And it really comes down to, you know, consistent decision making making the right decisions under pressure because i i think that's going to be one one of those tests as well as it's easy to do that when you're no you're up 12 you're up 15 against the nets or you're against chicago uh to to kind of take those open shots that are there are you going to do the same thing in a two-point game against milwaukee like that that to me is the next hurdle but it's encouraging that even down two of your best players you you, you know Historically, your most impactful offensive player and your most impactful defensive player. It's encouraging to me that they can find such effective offense with this group. And it's really coming down to that shot distribution. Um, the, obviously, this is an updated for tonight. As you mentioned, they had a 110 offensive rating tonight. So this number is going to come down a little bit. But since Garland went out, the Cavs have a 120.9 offensive rating. That's great. Anytime you're uh, over 120, that's elite. That's amazing. That's what you want to see. And it's almost as good as last year's starting five with Isaac Okoro at at the small forward, which was 121.6, which is like historically good offense, even though they didn't have that three-point volume. If you can replicate that level of offensive efficiency with this group, it just goes to show you what an impact the the analytics and and having the right shot distribution can have and how much of uh, an eve how much that can even kind of the talent gap when you're in these situations and i i think it's just so clear that this is something that needs to continue when the calves get healthy something uh i first off
1: i i don't actually want to respond to that because i just agree with all of it and yes i mean okay. I, I i think i think it's all correct Something I do want to call out as well with regards to the fact that they're they're down two of their three best players is like, I don't want to hear a, a bad word about Kobe Altman's team building and ability to evaluate NBA <laughs> talent. Because you look up and down the league and teams are getting blown out left and right when they're missing their top dogs, when they're missing two of their best three guys. Um, they are, this, this team... Is legitimately nine to to eleven deep in NBA players who can help. Mm. Um, I mean, there are not a lot of teams that have that depth. I've been preaching it for you know two years now. Is that you know the most important factor in the modern NBA is not top end talent for for winning you know regular season games at a high end uh, number. It's you just can't have guys who can't play. Yeah. Um. And even the guys who you know have had rough starts to their year, like they're all guys who can play. They're all guys who can play ball, who can hang, who could play on any team in the league with enough top end talent at the at the top of the roster and Donovan and Jarrett that you can you can win ten out of thirteen games. Um, it's just really cool to see that they really do have that depth. Like. And and that is the difference between a healthy culture with, you know, with a roster that is well-built to, to play all sorts of different styles and one that isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. again, you look at a team like the Nets and they have eight, nine rotation players too. They don't have the top end talent. You look at a team like the Lakers, they have the top end talent, but they don't have the depth. The Cavs have both right now. And that's why they're 23 and 15. And, uh, and you know, playing as well as they were last year when they were way healthier at this point of the season.
0: Yeah. I mean, they only have one fewer win at this point. Like that's unbelievable to me. Um, I think it shows growth from this group. Like even though guys have been out of the lineup, there is an increased level of continuity compared to last season where, where guys were getting comfortable with one another. Um, You know, you went through that, that playoff failure against the Knicks and guys looked kind of within, right? Like you, you see Jared Allen playing so physical and chasing those boards and and the intensity in these premier matchups that he's had. Um, Donovan, I, I think he's been playing fantastic basketball. We've gone in depth about that. Like Isaac is playing more confident and having more impact on the game on, on a nightly basis. Max Struess has brought so much. And it's funny to see the Cavs with this much depth and still think, okay, You've got Amani Bates, who is looking great in the G League and is going to push for opportunities. Craig Porter Jr., who's looked great in the opportunities that he's had. Uh, Isaiah Mobley's killing it once again in the G League. Luke Travers looks great in NBL. Uh, they're going to have mid-level exception again this summer. They have a first-round pick this year. Like, all of a sudden, you have a really deep team. The coverage that, don't look quite so empty. That's for damn sure. Right, and so much of that has come down to fi- finding the value in the margins. Like, you managed to add depth in the year where you really only had the mid-level exception and a late second round pick, and you found an undrafted talent, you found a a diamond in the rough in in Imani Bates, and maximized the assets and flexibility that you had. And like, I I just think it's so encouraging. Um, I think this stretch is going to pay dividends for the relationship between Donovan and Jared as well. Uh, Last year, that lineup worked well. It had a plus six net rating, but offensively, it was just over 115. This year, when they're, playing on, uh, when they're playing together without Garland and Mobley, it's up to 119 in terms of offensive rating. And if you can get... We, we know the starting lineup works. We know the lineup is great together. It's great on both ends of the court. If you're able to have those separate five-man groups when you're staggering your two bigs and your two guards, and you have those clicking... That makes you so damn hard to beat because even with them playing poorly and not uh, up to their standards against the Knicks individually, that starting lineup still was a net positive from a net rating standpoint, the first four games, game five, you know, everything kind of fell apart and uh, that that was rough. But even with them playing poorly, it was a net positive. It was those staggering minutes where it fell apart. And I look at this year where Darius hasn't even been playing up to, you know, the, the level that... We expect from him when him and Evan are playing alone, they have a 121.5 offensive rating and a plus 21.5 net rating. That is absolutely absurd on both ends of the court. And Mike, yeah, go
1: ahead. Yeah, and just to to add to my point from earlier, with with those numbers in mind, again, it is not about just having your best five. Like obviously, your best five are really important. And luckily the Cavs best five lineups have been good, but more important in the modern league is just not playing lineups that stink. Yep. And the cow Cav- and the Cavs have a, have a real chance here to just never play lineups that don't work mm-hmm. based on what they've learned in this stretch. And just based on the depth of the roster.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, we, we actually started having this conversation a little bit in our discord. And I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, if you're going to have, let, let's say, Ten-man rotation, two groups of five when you're staggering. We know who the starters are going to be. Do you have a preference? Obviously, I I think it's fair to say Darius and Mobley, um, that speaks for itself. Um, uh, Donnie and Allen, that's the other group. Do you have any preference on who you would pair with each of those guys? Um, without any know. overlapping players. Without any overlapping okay. players, even though we understand in, in a typical NBA rotation, there's going to be kind yeah, of those you're not br- gonna you're not
1: just playing three five man groups for 48 minutes. Yeah, you are going so to have understanding those understanding players. That, but yeah. Yeah, understanding that these are the you know, if you're looking at three lineups that are gonna play the most minutes, obviously you got your starters. Um I think I'm gonna put Struce with uh with Darius uh in Evan. Mm-hmm. Um just because that Struce Evan two man game, I really miss it. I feel like Streus has missed it more than we understand and and can acknowledge. Um, so, I, and I think that extra off-ball shooting really really makes that tough to guard. Um, I think I would go Okoro for that elite point of attack defense with that group. And I think I have one spot left. Is that, you do? Is that correct? Um, I'm really hoping you don't take mine. Um. Oh man. I maybe it's Merrill. <laughs> okay um uh Merrill or uh dean Merrill or dean i would okay. probably go uh and then uh and then with donovan i think you know it, what's left over is niang karis um and then i guess either Merrill or or dean
0: right mm-hmm. yeah you're pretty close to to where kind of i landed when i was having this conversation pre-pod Um, I think I would go Garland, Struce, Okoro, Niang, and Mobley. Um, I think having Okoro and Mobley to kind of sandwich Niang, you're getting like maximum uh, defensive insulation for that lineup. That's Um, fair. And you also kind of can use Okoro for a little bit of ball handling or as a screener for Garland. Uh, You have the the Struess and Mobley two-man game. I completely agree there. And then that second unit with Donovan, uh, Donovan with Merrill Karis out there, because I, I actually like the chemistry that Donovan and Karis are showing over this time. Dean Wade, because I, I think if you have Mitchell and Merrill out there, you're going to want to have a, a little bit more defense than you would have with George Niang out there. So Dean Wade at the four and Jared Allen at the five. So Mitchell, Merrill, Lavert, Wade, Allen, Garland, Struess, Okoro, Niang, and Mobley would probably be how I do it, which I mean, it's interesting because that's assuming, you know, going 10 deep uh two functioning lineups uh we we already know the the starters work but that also doesn't leave any room for tristan thompson doesn't leave room for craig porter jr and some of the other guys that we've seen over this stretch
1: yeah uh price you pay when your team's super good um and deep (laughs) the team is i think super good and deep and as a result uh you know and like the thing about that is about having those guys in the deep benches it's really nice because you can break them out in certain matchups or, frankly, as a coaching staff, when you need to prove a point, like, mm. if, if if you're like, hey, we're getting killed on the glass or we're not playing tough, like, JB can just go give TT a five-minute stint that, you know, messes with the opponent's game plan, uh, sends a message, and then, you know, pull him right back out. Um, here's the only thing I'll say there is, it really is hard to play 10, 10 guys. Yeah, uh, It just is, and... I remain skeptical that they'll do it, um, which means that one of—and this is me guessing here—it means that one of Merrill, Niang, or Wade, probably if they go if they stick to nine, one of those three is not going to get to
0: play. Yeah, well, one like those and three are going to be fighting. Those those three would be battle. fighting in practice. They would be yeah. fighting in shootarounds. They'd be fighting uh, with their minutes in the game. And, like, you want that. You want to have a competitive environment where, where guys are, are... By the battling. way, you can
1: throw Okoro into that group, too. There there might be some times where, like, where if the other three are playing great, Okoro might just get squeezed on certain games.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's I, competitive, man. I, I think the difference with Okoro is, I think his spot to start the game, like, first half rotation would be solidified. But if game flow starts to dictate, hey, we need a little bit more length here. We, we need Dean out there uh, to space the floor uh, to help end possessions, or we really need the spacing that Sam Merrill can provide. Like, I, I think that that's maybe a lever that you can pull. And th- that this is really going to be like, we're, we're probably, you know, uh, another two, three weeks away from, from getting fully healthy here uh, and, and getting Garland back and getting Mobley back. And hopefully there's no injuries between now and then. But I think this is going to be one of the more interesting stretches for the Cavs when the team uh, does get healthy, because JB is going to have more levers than ever to pull. He's going to have lineups that we now have film on that that we know there. It's not just a hypothetical. Like, hey, you know, you could throw Dylan Windler out there, and it's going to add some spacing, or uh, kind of the unknown commodities that that were all kind of hypothetical lineups. We have tape of lineups that work and combinations that work. And there's going to be really, really hard decisions. And you can make the the right decision on paper and it doesn't pan out. How do you respond to that? How how do you keep everybody engaged? Like, this is why he gets paid the big bucks. But I'm, I'm just fascinated to see how this stretch plays out. Because there really are a lot of levers that he can pull now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and just the Merrill thing, I just don't think it's going away, Justin. He leads the NBA in three-point attempts per 100 possessions, which... Like, go look at his peers. It's like Steph Curry, uh, <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr., Buddy Healed, and like, he's leading all those guys, and in some cases, by a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's you know, shooting... the, the big difference between Merrill and, and Steph Curry is Merrill wouldn't have lost to the gr- Zombie Grizzlies tonight. That's absolutely true. Um, I, I believe
1: in Sam's ability to win against anyone at this point, but, you know, six attempts, he's averaging about eight three-point attempts in his 20 minutes a game. Um... He's just, he just changes the shape. You know, I kind of made the case on Twitter earlier today that, like, I understand the impulse to say the Cavs are shooting 40, you know, leading the NBA in three-pointers attempted per 100 possessions in the last 12 games heading into tonight because they're playing one big basketball. I just don't really think that's true. You know, I think it's, I you know, you look at a guy like Okoro and Wade who are getting the lion's share of the minutes, like, Oftentimes they might shoot three threes combined. Yeah. And and so replacing those twos, you know, heavy minutes with more Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, that should be a wash at minimum. <laughs> so the the reality is the the vast majority of this is gone from the fact that you're all of a sudden playing a guy who's juicing your numbers this much in half the game. Uh, I'm not saying it's all Sam Merrill, but like it's a major part of it. And that kind of variance, as I've noted, like we've been on the please shoot more threes train for a long time. So, like, and I'm not saying I want Merrill to play 30 minutes a game. Like, I think 15 to 20 is actually just right for a guy of his size, skill set, et cetera, especially given how much he freaking runs. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd rather him be at 100% uh, while he's out there. But like, at a certain point, you have to look at the way he changes your offensive possessions and the fact that you're not getting cooked on defense with them out there, and just say, we'll live with it. You're in the rotation until someone makes you not be in the rotation.
0: Here's why I think that the Sam Merrill thing is not going away. Here, Here's the, the proof. Sam Merrill played 20 minutes tonight. He had 15 points, shot four or six from three, and it took us this long to get to it. Like, it felt routine. It didn't feel like this was an outlier performance from Merrill. Everything came in the flow of the game. Him making four six threes wasn't surprising. He competed hard on the defensive end. He got a big steal in finish and finishing transition when they really need it. He made some timely passes and uh, just continue to play that connector role. Like, yeah, like I think this is a guy that I feel I didn't think that there was going to be any way that I when we talk about, hey, we're kind of whittling down the rotation to, to eight or nine here. I don't think there was any way that I, I could think, hey, Sam Merrill has to be in that. But I kind of feel like he has to be in it. Like, I, I just think what he brings, like, it's why we kind of pined after Luke Kennard. Like, this is yeah. exactly the we type of. We have Luke of... Kennard at home now. And, and this one plays better defense. <laughs> no. Uh, but, like, but no, like, exactly the type of skill set that we wanted uh, from a Luke Kennard. I think he's bringing that to the table. And I, I I don't think you should look a gifted horse in the mouth here. Like, this, this is this is something that the, the cavs need to to latch onto and and to continue to embrace
1: yeah i just want this team you know i keep going back to the fact that the cavs were often playing uh you know an eight or a nine man rotation where you only had two three point shooters that were really really good mm-hmm. like you know you know elite three point shooters that required hard closeouts yeah. um in in order to guard them or you know you'd be inviting death uh, the Cavs now have, they now have Darius, they have Donovan, they have Max, they have George, they have Sam. That's mm-hmm. that's that's a ton of guys that inspire fear when they're open from three, um, yeah. and I just think from a versatility perspective, it, it's hard to beat that uh, in terms of a knockout punch perspective. It's hard to beat that, and it, right now, and you know, we'll talk about it when we get to you know postseason prognostications and stuff there Sam Merrill is the kind of guy whose frame eventually might get him played off the floor I mean even Kyle corver was a guy who yep. you know who we saw dips uh once you're playing against a fully ske you know a fully game planned uh playoff opponent so I'm not saying that there's that there's no end to this but for the regular season I think you're gonna win more games if you have Sam Merrill in your rotation than you would if you don't
0: and the interesting thing, too, is that kind of movement shooting, the spacing, like you get that from George and Yang, and you get that from Sam Merrill, and we understand that there's certain matchups where one might not be able to play as much, and, and you need to take them off the floor, but I think it's very rare that a team has the personnel on the court at all times to pressure both of those positions, to be able to kind of really kind of expose someone with, with Merrill's frame or to be able to attack Niang in space from the, the power forward position, like you might be able to go to one or another depending on the matchup. Um, so it's not just kind of a blanket thing of, hey, uh, Niang can't play in this series or Merrill can't play in this series. Like you might be able to pick and choose your spots of where you're inserting one of those guys to the lineup, but what they bring in that skill set is so similar and it's so important. And that's the type of versatility that you want to have going into a playoff series or a playoff run, I should say, because... One matchup, it might work. Other matchups, it might not. Right? Like the, that's going to be one of those things to to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, man, what a fun stretch. Um, really, really fun. And thank you to the Cleveland Cavaliers for uh, for buoying my spirits and hopefully all of Cleveland's spirits. <laughs> um, after after a rough wild card weekend for our respective favorite teams. Uh, so, so <laughs> poor, you know, for you, man, I, uh, I we- know. For, I was for those my... that
0: don't know, Car- Carter's a Cowboys fan, and I actually thought about addressing this at the start of the podcast and just kind of sharing the pain. Uh, I'm I'm very sorry uh, to all the Browns fans listening. That was a special, special season, uh, battled through a lot of adversity, and sucks to see it end that way. Carter, it, it I I feel for you a little bit, uh, not not a ton, but I feel for you a little bit uh, because at this point you just got to be used to it with the Cowboys. You know, it's funny I'm not, and that's what's really cruel. <laughs>
1: I was like I was so emotionally healthy going to the game like hey you know we might win we might lose you know it's single elimination football it was a really fun season and then by the end I'm just I'm I was doom spiraling so hard in fact I I I have been trying I got my wife um a, a little carplay uh, attachment for her phone uh yeah. or for her car you know so she can have Apple CarPlay in the car and we've been having a heck of a time mounting the thing and my brother Pitched this new mount to to put it on, and he he said after the game's over, you should try to put this new thing on. And I said, Nate, I honestly don't know if my heart can take more failure tonight. <laughs>
0: you, you had already I been was mounted
1: enough for one night. <laughs> I was so in my feels, and <laughs> and, and, uh, and you know. Uh, uh, i i appreciate how nice uh cleveland fans were to me uh after uh because everyone hates the cowboys so so you know it was nice to commiserate a little bit but uh the Cavs have certainly uh, buoyed my spirits uh with this five game win streak
0: yeah and you know this is going to be a really interesting stretch for them uh obviously this will be my last podcast for a little bit heading off on vacation tomorrow morning uh but it's it's a tough stretch but the fun thing about stretches like this is when you're not really expected to win. If you steal one of these wins and you're able to keep some of this momentum going, um, man, that that's just one of the best feelings in the world. And Cavs are in fourth right now. They got a little bit of breathing room tonight. Uh, looks like the Pacers are going to lose. Uh, uh next one in
1: overtime.
0: Miami won, Brutal. but you know Miami's going to be there all year. I think we, we can just kind of expect it to be fighting them uh, for for seeding the rest of the way. But uh, the Cavs have done a lot to to help kind of weather the storm put themselves in a great position and hopefully we can have a healthy second half of the year and and really see what this team is made of so big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on youtube make sure you like and subscribe click notification bell so you know when we're going live if you're listening via podcast and you want to support us leave us a rating leave a review subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe and help cook those books If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive discord chat send a screenshot of the review to at gmail.com however you choose to support us we really do appreciate it make sure you guys are staying safe out there until next time go cats